You're listening to Veeam Partner Perspectives with Eric Dockerty. Welcome to the Veeam Partner Perspectives podcast. I'm Eric Dockerty. My guest today is Edwin Weidma, field CTO for EMEA here at Veeam. Edwin, I think you're my first repeat guest on the podcast, actually. So welcome back. Oh, thanks for inviting me and also for being a welcome back guest there. <laughs> <laughs> means you did a good job the first time. So the last time you were on, it was actually uh, V12 release day. And here we are right on the cusp of 12.1 coming out. Um, and I thought it'd be a great time to have you back on, given how focused on ransomware and security this release is. Yeah, this release feels for me like Christmas comes early because that's my wish list from six years ago for 95%. Yeah. So, yeah, good. I think we're in a good shape there. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, so, I mean, when 12 came out, it, it seemed like it was more of an extension, the next step of a lot of the things we were already doing in V11. But 12.1, or as we're calling it publicly, 23H2, if you do a help about, you'll see 12.1 in, uh, in the product itself, but we're calling it the 23H2 release uh, out in the public. Um, it's really diving into what we're seeing more of in the marketplace now, which is the conversations around security and talking with security teams. And was this a conscious decision, do you think, as, as we decided what was going to be important in this release? I think so, because when we did the 12th release, we had to do a lot of rewriting of the code beneath the cover, so nobody will see that. Uh, but that was <clears throat> getting the foundation there. For any new features and any new security means that we're going to deliver in the now and mm. in the near future. But something had to be done before we could do this. Okay. So it's kind of like putting the engines in place before we figure out the, the, the features that we're going to see on top of them. So while it may not have excited a lot of people publicly, it was a, it was a huge release for us because it's allowing us to do the cool stuff now that, that we really want to do. And there's a lot of cool stuff. I mean, I think from what I've seen, and I, I obviously talk to a lot of partners and I'm out in the marketplace a lot, as are you, um, really allowed us to shift that conversation to the security team and say things that they are very interested in, which is an interesting shift because we really, over the last, I'd say especially this year, but starting last year, I mean, it was always, you know, ransomware is the conversation it's really become a security conversation now because and that's who we're talking to is security teams. That's that's where backup has landed. It's almost out of the data center ops team's hands and the decisions that need to be made are in the security team's hands, it seems. Yeah, as you may or may not know, I'm an explorer for 30 plus years. Other people call that a hacker. Um, so <laughs> for me, it was, okay, ransomware. Yeah, it, it's, it's headline news. So a lot of people will talk about it, but that's not the real problem here. It's about the cyber attacks that are beneath it. And ransomware is just like the final flag, the white flag, okay, surrender and pay. Yeah. There's been problems going on for, for weeks and months before that when if, if you're seeing the ransomware, you've been infiltrated for a while already is, is really the story there. But yeah, some people feel, feel, think it's magic. It just it popped up <laughs> and there it is, ransomware, <laughs> pay up. That's the red screen streaming at you in the morning on Monday always. Not on Friday, always on Monday somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we really have to dive into how cyber attack really goes down, or better said, how ransom attack completely unfolds. I think that will be interesting for the audience also. Yeah. Um, so let me fire up there. Go. Because it's not just <laughs> magic popping up. Yeah, sometimes it, it looks like that, and sometimes yeah. it's really uh, like a thriller, like a movie. Some people will really dive into it, like, oh, that's interesting. 
as long yeah. as they don't get touched, that's fine. But as soon as there's someone out of their window looking yeah. in and asking for a ransom, that's different. So, yeah, um, it, it's about six phases I always describe on, on stage. So the first one is observation. Uh, information is gathered on the victim. People target it. But sometimes that's not even the real first phase because the sneak in could be the first phase. And that's like phase two in my book. But sometimes it's phase one. And those two can you interchange. Why? Because sometimes they will just blast out emails with a link in it or just a website where you can buy a lot of things for, for instance, Thanksgiving coming up. A lot mm -hmm. of people, oh, that's interesting. And always think about it. If it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. So don't go in there. Because if you go in there, you get some extra features, some extra software on your machine. That's where the sneak in starts. And yep. as soon as they see something is live, they will get that IP address look you up, uh, hold on, that's a business. So then they will do the observation phase. So those two can be interchanged. Yeah. So sometimes they're very targeted. Sometimes they're, from their perspective, a spray and pray attack. And then if they if they catch a gem on the hook, then, then they really dive in. Yes, completely true, Eric. Yeah, and after those two phases, then the base of operation starts. And that's where the fun really starts popping up. Uh, because if you look from my perspective, if I'm a hacker, as an ethical hacker going in, what I will do is I try to get a base of operations. Uh, I will look through all the machines in there and I will find one that has less security meshes. There will still be security meshes there, most likely. I hope so. Otherwise, we have another problem there. But if there are security meshes, I will pick one of them. I will jump in. I rip out any security message like XDR, MDR, uh, any tools there, antivirus. I will just disable them because I like a clean environment to work in. Uh, from that point on, I will start building up my base of operations. And also, I'm in IT, so I also high availability. N is nothing, so N plus one. I will get another machine and build that one and combine those two. And why I'm doing that? Because that machine is part of your infrastructure already, so it's trusted already. So if I can take over that machine without being detected as a hacker, that makes it a lot easier. So I can just snoop around during daytime. So sometimes they always think shady people work at night and at the wrong hours. <laughs> no, we just work at daytime because yeah. everyone's working at daytime. So if I just jump in at daytime, nobody will see me because I will just go in the masses. Yeah. And after that base of operations, then we start moving forward because... Um, in the first two phases, I tried to get an account. And as we say as a hacker, I don't hack, I log in. And that's completely <laughs> true because if I can get a hold of an account, and that's the easy part, social engineering, just looking on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the social media platforms, yeah. I can create a profile of someone. And if I normally look in a room, I have also seen that on Vimon, uh, like two years ago, I asked some people in a room, I could guess just 10 passwords from those 800 people in that room. <laughs> And people were scared, like, how do he, How does he know my password? Yeah. It's just because we're really bad in thinking yeah. of passwords. creatures of habit, yeah. But, you, you know, if you talk about it, at Veeamon this past year, we had identity theft happening live. Uh, one of my colleagues, somebody, it wasn't that they knew who he was already. They saw somebody walking around with a badge with his name. They were able to go in and log in and, and register as him at the front desk and get a, and get a badge. Yeah. And we're walking around. If it wasn't the fact that they happened to pick somebody who works for the company and everybody knew what he looked like and said, that's not him, then they would have, that basically, you know, that's how they got caught. But they, they stole the identity. I don't know what they were going to do with it short of getting a free meal because unless they're really, uh, you know, tech savvy, and I, they didn't seem like a tech savvy sort. But 
it was uh, it was interesting. And you also mentioned like using social media and LinkedIn and here in the States and probably worldwide. I just my point of reference is limited to the States, really. But the MGM attack that recently happened, we all know how now maybe we don't all know how that one got initiated. That was LinkedIn. Yeah, it was LinkedIn. exactly what you said. Yeah. Pick up the phone, call support desk. And that's also somehow the beauty of people. If you ask them for help, that's also how I do, because 90% of my hex is social engineering. Just put a smile on your face, as we say, as the huh, the penguins yeah. in Madagascar, smile away, boys. That's the same thing, going up, being friendly, asking things, yeah. and asking for help. Because if I ask you for help, Eric, now, you will say, ah, if we can do it, and I have some opportunity, I will help you. That's yeah. the same what happened with the MGM attack. Uh, someone called the support desk. They were just in panic or showed that they are in panic, asked for, okay, can you reset that password? And what they did is they had that username combined through, okay, how do people log in at MGM? How does that work? And they could just reset that password. Yep. And that was the whole thing about observation and sneak in. They had a normal user with a password, and that was active. So they could just walk around, snoop around, and from there, they will move to another thing. And that's where the phase four comes in, elevated access and lateral movement. Because from that moment, you will just walk through, and it's always like the physical world. So take that casino as an example. Mm -hmm. Anyone can go to the casino floor, right? Because that's open. From there, you can just wait, and if they're not paying attention, and a door opens where there's normally a key card, and you wait, and you can put your foot in the door, you're behind the scenes. All of a sudden, you are moving around, lateral movement. Then you're trying to elevate access. So going into, for instance, the, the changing room of the staff, and you see a badge there. <laughs> Hold on, IT admin. Interesting. Let me take that badge and move on. That's the same that they do in the digital world. The only thing is, in the physical world, it's easy with cameras and people looking around and being suspicious. But in the digital yeah. world, somehow people don't pick that up. Yeah, unless unless and casinos. Yes, the, the amazing thing is they got attacked that way, and you think of the security that just by law a casino has to have, and then they're going above and beyond because their integrity is their business. You know, if you now don't trust them, you're not going to invest your money even in a hotel room. But yeah, the, the average company doesn't have as many of those tools. So getting in there digitally is kind of like getting paid. If you get past one door, now every door down the hallway is unlocked. Yes, that's true. And that's also in the digital world. If one of those doors is unlocked, or better said, you have an admin password. Yeah. Uh, you have most likely access to all the machines if they yeah, didn't segregate or segregate. So, yeah. And, and those four stages are the real threat because those four lead to something what we call exfiltration of data because a lot of those attacks are not about getting ransom in and getting paid by ransomware because those four uh, are stealthy. Because yep. what we say within Veeam, and we have that saying, uh, you as a defender have to be right 100%. Me as an attacker only have to be lucky once. Yeah, That's the opposite for an attacker. Like me, for a hacker, um, you have to be right once to see me. Yeah. And I have to be 100% stealthy all the time. Because when you see me, what will you do? You will kick me out. Yep. So that's both ways. But a lot of people don't see into their infrastructure, so they will not see me. Um, and that exfiltration of data, that's the whole thing where we had in the past, <clears throat> 10 years ago, espionage. People come into a building, uh, getting their documents, go to a copying machine, get a copy of those documents and take them home. Hey, boy, well, no, so much easier. It's, it's connected all. It's yeah. digital. I can just go from the outside. I don't even have to go to the company anymore. I can just yep. log in. 
I steal those documents and I'm in business. I did that 20 years ago. I walked into it. I was doing a, a security audit for a company and I did two things. Number one, I went on their website, got the name of an executive that was, so I was doing it for their Pennsylvania office. And I got the name of an executive in Florida called in and worked to get the password changed for that user. Now I didn't go forward with it. As soon as I said, yeah, what you, you know, we're going to reset your password. I was like, just stop right there. And I'm sorry to tell you what I'm doing. So I didn't do it, but I re reported back. Yes, they were willing to do it. And then I did the physical one where I, you know, the classic shoulder surf, you know, you go right past the, uh, you know, so I, like you said, everybody wants to help. They'll hold the door for you. If you're, oh, yeah. you're the old slap your pockets. So where's my key card? They're going to help you. Oh, here, come on in. Did that, went into the accounting department, said I was with the IT group, put a USB key in somebody's computer. Another mistake, USB ports are active and dragged some files off of somebody's computer in the accounting department and then walked out the front door. Actually, I walked down to the IT department and said, hey, guess what I just did? Um, <laughs> but, yes, that sounds yeah. familiar. Sounds familiar. That's, oh. that's 20 years ago. So the concepts haven't changed that much, have they? It doesn't. It completely <laughs> haven't changed, to be honest. <laughs> Uh, it's only digital now, so instead of going there physically and then copying stuff, you will do it digitally. Uh, it's even more hidden now than it was before, because then you will have to walk through a building. Uh, mm -hmm. Now you can just log in and go through the stream of data and get out without being noticed. And that's also the part of the whole game about exfiltration of data, because they don't want to be visible. As I say, um, if there's nobody, there's no murder, right? That's the same yeah. in this. Um, if you didn't catch me, there was no crime committed between brackets, right? <laughs> but that's the whole part. And those four stages, normally there can be one, two, or even three groups because they will just sell off. So the first one will do the observation and the sneak in. They will sell that for a small amount of money to another group. Another group will build a base of operations. And if they have been done there and they're really good at that one, they will just sell it off to the next party. And that is the party that really needed access to that particular organization because mm -hmm. of competition or just espionage they will get all the documents and as soon as they have everything they need they're going to sell it off to another party but that party is specialized in something and that's what we call ransomware and being specialized in ransomware they will have two more stages the first one in that one so stage number five cripple recoverability and that's about ripping out any means in a victim's infrastructure that could help them recover without paying the ransom. So they will go for the backups. So backups are target number one, period. Mm -hmm. If I can kill your backups, then I will encrypt your production. How are you going to get back without paying me for a decryptor? But I've also seen different things like an incident response plan, and there was a number in there. If there's something going on, please call this number. Hacker came in, they changed the number to their number. So as soon as they saw, hmm, hold on, maybe we have been breached, let's call from the incident response plan, and they called the hacker. At that moment in time, there wasn't really something done. Only thing what was done is that document was changed. Yep. But the hacker asked them, okay, um, hold on, I have to look on your machine. Um, I will send you a program, TeamViewer. Um, please open that one, and then I can help you remotely. Oh, yeah, fine, Just please send me. That's the whole thing again. Hey, I want to help. Send me that thing. They will start it up. And as soon as they started up, the TeamViewer thing, that's where the fun started. That's where the yeah. wildfire started popping up. And like, yeah. okay, they had full access because the admin called. So they yeah. had control over the admin machine at that moment in time. And they could just do anything. They and did that the right was thing really and they got burned for it. Yeah. They got burned for that really bad. Um, but after cripple recoverability, you will get the last stage. That's a ransom declarement. That's where the decryptor or mm -hmm. the encryptor comes in and the ransom body. So the ransom note. 
it's the first time they're really visible in this entire process. Yes, that's the last stage. And normally yeah. that's like, I always uh, take the day off just before Christmas because I know what kind of <clears throat> show is coming my way <laughs> or just before Thanksgiving or the 4th yeah. of July. You, you know those particular days where people are yep. off and not paying attention and I can't blame them. That's the same. You want to be f with family and not yeah. with the family that chose you to be your family. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. That's also take a break from the work family and go home to the family family, right? Yeah. <laughs> we work in IT. It's not nine to five. We know, but yeah. sometimes we really want to be with our family. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, looking at that stage, and that's also, well, there's some myth in, in the field. They will say, yeah, we can detect ransomware in the backup. Uh, that's nice, but normally you won't see ransomware in the backup because the encryptor will come in just before they activate it. Why? Because all the security measures like the IDS, IPS, uh, EDR, XDR are all targeted. And also what we're going to do in version 12.1, we mm -hmm. will see if an encryptor or a ransom node comes in because we're all focused on that one. So they will not bring that in in the early stages because that will just raise alarm bells and you don't want to be seen as a hacker. So just before they activate it, 24th of December, in the evening, they will get it in, start it, and that's where huh, the whole uh, battle will go on. Yep. Uh, so that's also why I say 95 to 99%, you will never see ransomware in your backups. But you will see something else in your backups. And that's what I call malware, malicious software. So remote access tools, an AD ping, uh, of AD find, and a ping castle, uh, a cobalt strike. And a cobalt strike beacon is a beacon that's like emitting a signal every 50 minutes like a health ping. Like, yep. okay, we we are still alive. This is still available to you. Sending and it will go to home base. Yes. Yeah. Which is enough that in the, the millions of packets that, that a company sends in and out in a day, that one little one's tough to detect unless you know exactly what you're looking for. And that's the whole point. That's where we want to go to. Because if you really look through the timeline and just uh, said about those six stages, normally it can, that can be weeks, even months, or even years. Oh, I had a funny story there. Uh, I had one customer in Sweden, and they asked us to come in, and um, they saw something shady, and they didn't know, and I got forensics in there, and we were looking through it. The forensics are, hey, hold on. That was an account created eight years ago, and if I see what that account is doing, that's the one that's being compromised. So they were being compromised eight years ago, and know that the backup admin was only working there for six and a half years. So most likely the hacker could <clears throat> yeah. educate the backup admin about the whole infrastructure. And yeah. that's yeah, kind of scary. Run new user training better than anybody. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't get somewhere there, but that was just stealing uh, like the cookies from the back of the shelf. So yeah. only getting those emails and those particular documents that were interesting to him or her. We still yeah. don't know who or what group that was so that's a good point take one little cookie out of the cookie jar and who's going to really notice as opposed to stealing the whole jar and you do that over years and you've got more cookies than they do yes and you have the interesting cookies so the yes. ones that were new and yep. not really like mm, okay we shouldn't have eaten that one so yeah but that, that's <laughs> the whole point in, in in this phase so malware will be dropped along the way and if i drop malware on like what i said in stage four or stage three base of operations that machine that is clean Mm -hmm. So no security meshes there anymore. Um, if I drag in tools, they have to travel through a firewall. That could be an application, a web firewall, through IDS and IPS, so introducing detection systems into that particular machine. If I just drag in the tools without anything, they will just be red alert or bells and whistles will go off. So what will I do? I will encrypt that. And I will make it so much 
looking like garbage, that any of those security tools in the in between will just look at it. Okay, hold on. Mm, I'm not sure. Could be malicious, but yeah. Mm, mm. And they yeah. only have like milliseconds to determine something coming through is good, suspicious, or bad. So I we cannot blame those particular tools because that's also one of those questions I always get on stage. Like, yeah, but shouldn't XDR, EDR find those malware things? Um, they have milliseconds. So we cannot blame them. But if you look at Veeam and how we already had in version 11 and now also in version 12 and also the ongoing versions, we have secure restore. Yeah. So run those particular workloads through secure restore, connect the same EDR and XDR mm-hmm. and let them run for 12 hours. Then they will particularly say to you, hold on, normally 97% in production will find things. The other 3% we can find in those 12 hours. Yeah. And then they will say, hold on, this is what's in there. Uh, keep that in mind. Now the going nice back- thing, yeah, yeah. Well, and I want to make sure we talk about how we've made that process even more efficient in 12.1 because we've been able to do that. Like you said, we've been able to do exactly what you described for a long time, but it was more involved. We just made it so much easier. So mm-hmm. make sure we talk about those features, but I don't want to. I don't want to stop your story either. So I just oh, sure we'll come back. please yeah. hold on to that one because we'll <laughs> yeah. get back to that one because that's really important. But yeah. for for the story to get that malware in, so those tools that I need because I'm also lazy as a hacker, right? I don't want to do everything by head and doing compiling on on the fly. I will use tools. Come on. Normally, I will just look through the infrastructure, and if there's a folder called Red Team with all the tools already in there, that's easy for me. Uh, but sometimes I have to drag them own tools. So I crunch them, I encrypt them, making sure that they are not readable for any of those tools. And then they will land on that particular machine. Uh, that machine itself has no security meshes anymore. But one thing as a hacker I cannot block is the backup because we do a backup as Veeam through the hypervisor. So there's no agent running, there's nothing to block. Anything, we will just back it up. And that's where 12.1 comes in really handy. Uh, we could already do in 12 post backup scanning but now in 12.1 we will do inline malware detection and that's where i think is really the beauty as soon as the backup starts and it will run through memory i will see those tools because what we would do in 12.1 malware detection in line is going for entropy entropy is randomness so anything that's really random that changed for like last time the last backup will raise a flag and if it's uh, entropy is being measured between zero and eight if I drag in those tools, normally it will be seven or a high eight. So it will raise an alarm. It will say, hold on, this machine is suspicious. Will we, as Veeam, be able to say, okay, hold on, that's this particular malware or this particular tool? No. But we will say, hold on, this machine is suspicious. Look through it. And that's where forensics makes it easy. Because think about an infrastructure where you have 10,000 machines. Not all those 10,000 machines will be affected. There will only be one or two. Think right. about high availability, two machines. And then you can focus on those two machines. And if you run those two machines, connect them in an um, issue a backup job, and also in 12.1, we don't need uh, a virtual environment or an, uh, a data lab for that also. Yeah. So we can just that run I it. I love, yes. That I, makes we, it so much easier. It so much simpler because now the people that have never set up a data lab, which is one of the best features that is underused in, in VBR. So now the fact that you don't even need to have that to do these scans, that's that's critical, I think, because now people are going to really use these tools. Yes, uh, it makes it so much easier to run them. You don't have to set up things. Don't think about networking. You want to run those tools against those backups, right? Um, and by connecting that, you will just pick it up. 
Yeah. And so even the smallest shop can do it. The ones that, that are stretching their resources just for production and don't have extra for testing and, and things like that. Now they're all going to be able to do these scans and keep themselves protected. So from the smallest business up to the biggest. And the other side of it is they're going to run faster because you're not having to mount, you know, create all that good stuff. So the bigger companies are going to be able to run more scans every 24 hours. Yes. That's also what I like, what we changed in Sure Backup. You can now ask randomly for 20 machines to run through. If you have 10,000 machines, you don't want to run 10,000 machines through a backup yeah. test. Uh, but combined with those forensic tools, that's making it easier. So think about the timeline, and we can think about those tools I dragged in encrypted, mm -hmm. going through the backup, and they mm -hmm. will be spotted there. means that you can stop that ransomware attack before it happens. Of course, you will be compromised. That's also why I say have the principle of assume breach. They are already in your infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, and that's only the, the shift of the mindset. So if you have uh, your mindset top to that one, so assume breach is a mindset that guides your security investments. Uh, Decision-making, or better said, design decision-making and operational security procedures. Uh, so please adopt that principle of assume breach. Yeah, think about where where you're vulnerable. Do everything you can. Never, nobody's ever saying don't get every tool you can. Like we, I've had that conversation, especially as we've gotten more of these features. Do everything you can. Put every tool you can afford to put into place into place, and assume somebody's still going to find a way around them. Oh what yeah. Do you do then, and that's that's really where we've always been in the wheelhouse. What are you going to do when the attack happens? And that so we've always been in the recovery conversation. We're extending where we are in the conversation in your six steps. And I think that's the, the best part is we're not waiting until after you know you're breached. We're, we're providing information before you know what's going on. Yeah, that, that, that's the whole thing about Assume Breach. It, it limits the trust placed in application services, identities, and networks. Uh, and by treating them all equally, so both internally and externally, as not secure and probably already compromised, that will help a lot of people. Because sometimes trust is misplaced. Uh, trust is good but also verify. Yeah. I, I remember a story I had got over 20 years ago now, but one of those email born viruses that would propagate like wildfire and didn't really do anything other than cripple your email systems. I had, I sat there all day on one of them watching our mail filter stop everything. Then all of a sudden I'm watching and I suddenly see all these messages going out and I'm like, what happened? Cause we're, we're blocked. We have everything set up perfectly what happened was we didn't we we weren't allowed at that moment to have a policy to block things like hotmail and i guess gmail at that point might, might have been a thing i can't remember if it was at that point but hotmail was the big <laughs> one so somebody opened the email on hotmail doesn't infect hotmail it can't be run in hotmail but they had their corporate outlook open at the same time so they opened the email in hotmail Infects that, boom, I'm up 36 hours cleaning up stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so again, you had everything in there, but something still finds a crack. And guess what? That was the last day Hotmail was allowed to be used in that company. Yeah. yeah so some, but sometimes uh, those attacks are also funny. I had one that's called sheep.exe. Uh, it started a sheep on your screen. It started attacking anything you move your mouse to. So documents, uh, that sort of stuff. It didn't wreck anything, but it was just annoying. <laughs> as hell uh, and it just multiplied so one sheep became two sheeps became four became eight and and so on so that's but it's, now if yeah, you look at it it was funny just mayhem, yeah. it wasn't funny because more and more machines got yeah. infected there 
so it's yeah. funny now yeah it's funny now <laughs> to talk about it in the podcast <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah um but also one of those other things i want to mention on the timeline there's also one of the myths out there you have to go back to a clean backup yeah. So remember, if you have the timeline and assume the breach was in March and they will deploy ransomware at the 24th of December, that means a dwell time. So between breach and ransom deployment from 270 plus days, yeah. going back to a clean copy doesn't make any sense because you will lose 270 days of data. No company or organization worldwide can survive that one. That's no, also why I say yeah. Yeah, you're out of business. So might as, go, might as well not restore at that point. You know, it's yeah. like a bad time machine. Yeah, just, just run and hide for cover. <laughs> uh, but what I will say is, um, if you've been hit on the 24th of December, the uh, the backup just before that succeeded, go back to that one. Is that one clean? No, because there will be more in there. Okay. So that's why we also did secure restore, and we already had that from version 11. Mm-hmm. That's also why we did that particular feature because you cannot go back to a, a clean state. That's also why I think clean backup is a little bit misguided. What I would right. normally talk about is a validated backup. Validated or reliable. Yeah. Yeah. You want to know, okay, hold on. This one uh, is checked for data in, in integrity. So everything zeros and ones are still the zeros and ones that, are, that came in. So nothing changed, no ghost bits, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, we know that it can restore. That's also one of those. Huh? validated things you want to know. And the other one is, okay, is there something in here that I should be aware of before I do a restore? And that's where I think is the whole thing about uh, yeah. possible infected, uh, suspicious, or yeah. clean. And clean is more in the in the way, okay, we check, we check this. There's no suspicious activity in there, and there's no malicious or infection in there, what we have yeah. seen. So that's why I say that's clean. But I always go back to that one. Uh, do the restore for the last backup, run it to secure restore and push it back to an environment where you want in a clean state and know that it's clean and you've scanned it with the latest and greatest of your your virus and malware tools before it gets back on the wire yes totally that that, that's that's extremely critical yeah um because one thing i'm sorry sorry to interrupt because one thing uh one thing other people say is like no you have to go to back to a clean copy yeah hold on i think we as an industry uh, data protection said to everyone you have to go to immutable storage to Mm -hmm. store your backups okay how are you going to clean your backups then because they are an immutable storage you cannot delete them you cannot modify them clean that source now yeah so what you can do is clean them and store them again yeah but it means that your backup is running so much out of pace of storage they need. Yeah. So yeah, that could be a, val- a valid thing, but uh, be aware that well, most cheaper, likely- But it's not that cheap, yeah. Your backup will <laughs> most likely be two, three, four, maybe five times more expensive because you yeah. have uh, multiple copies of the same restore point, but then between brackets clean. Yeah, yeah. So they, 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 yeah. So mutability gives you it, it stops the easy attack of just saying I'm just going to delete everything when when the bad guy gets in. Um, the other thing you were talking about the exfiltration of data, um, and I always tell people too that make sure that you're encrypting your backups either through the hardware that you're using or using Beam's encryption or you know however you want to do it, but make sure you're doing it because don't be part of the problem. If that backup's encrypted, then at least they can't use the backup data as the source of that uh, of that exfiltration and getting yes. a hold of your data you know let work with the other tools to protect your data on your on your main sources but don't let the backup be part of the problem encrypt that backup data uh, no because the backup 
we all positioned anything in a backup as being valuable to a company, right? Otherwise, mm -hmm. why, to, why would you even take a backup? So yeah. what we will do is any data on different locations, bring them together in the backup, so centralized. Makes it easy yeah. for me as a hacker. Oh, so my God. It's one stop Make sure you encrypt it. Yeah. <laughs> you just put all the important stuff in one big wheelbarrow that I can walk out the door. Yeah. Yeah, I have a lot of rainy days here in the Netherlands. So um, if I have a backup and I can just read them uh, with Veeam, it's an autonomous file. So I can just do a new installation of Veeam, connect it, and then do a restore. And yeah. Yeah, it's a rainy day, so I can just walk through in my own pace. And if something interesting is in there, I can use that. Yeah. And at that point, you're using one of our best features against us if you don't encrypt. Yes. So you got to make sure you're doing that. The fact that we our data is that portable is a blessing. And if you don't take the proper security steps, it'll be your curse. Yeah. And I also recommend encrypting that backup because if you don't encrypt it and I get a hold of the Veeam infrastructure, I will encrypt it for you with the tools <laughs> I already have in hand. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's the other part. But it's also what we what I like about version 12.1, uh, yeah. that we do integration with KMS in an asynchronous way. So mm -hmm. the VBR server will never have the private key. Yeah. Um, and maybe I have to explain it a little bit. Sometimes uh, a lot of KMSs will just deliver the private and the public key to the machine that's doing encryption kind of sounds like a defeating way of doing it but yeah yeah but that sometimes <laughs> is the case now with the kms integration we're going to do it's we we make sure that the kms server keeps the private key private otherwise we'll call it private right mm -hmm. um and the vbr always have to ask okay i have this kind of encryption can you decrypt it for me and send it back and then i start doing my job there's one caveat there because if I kill that KMS server, that means you cannot decrypt anything anymore. So that's why I hate and love that thing. Um, because Veeam normally doesn't want to be tied into the production environment. So you don't want to be tied into any environment you are protecting yeah. with a backup and, backup and recovery infrastructure. So KMS will help you because we, as human beings, are really bad in passwords. So if you really look through <laughs> the passwords on yes. backup yes. files for encryption, most likely you will see 400, 500, 600 days. This password hasn't changed. Yeah. Well, even yeah. if you have a policy to change it every 90 days, it probably is just off by one character. Since mm -hmm. the last one, you know. <laughs> Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4. Yeah, and we start over exactly. again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But yeah, but that, yeah. So, or, or you can, you know, when you talk about those destroying a KMS system, there's nothing to stop people right now from destroying your Active Directory system either if you don't have the proper security in place. So, again, it's all about security measures. Yes. And it's also about layers and also knowing about, okay, um, I have to do all the bases. Don't forget one of those bases. So, the KMS, the VBR production, Active Directory, for instance. Make sure that you look at all of them. Because yeah. as, as a hacker, and that's also one of those misconfigured and myths in, in the field, we will use zero days. We will use high CVEs. Uh, no, we will use the low CVEs. Why? Because you won't patch for those. Because you're not patching for them, yes. <laughs> and they're easy. So yeah. that's why I get a hold of a base of operations first, then I have an account. And from there, I can work through. So yeah. those CVEs that are below the seven, and there are millions out there. So that's interesting. So you can just take them. So yeah. yeah, patching is one of those ways. Please patch your stuff. And the best way to test those patches is? Use the data labs. Yes. So fire up Veeam, <laughs> use data labs, make sure that you have a copy of that machine you want to patch, bring it up, deploy the patch in the data lab. So it's shielded in that sandbox. 
see what's going to happen. Sometimes it will wreck the machine. Then you know, hold on, dispatch. I should not deploy in production yet, or I want to have <clears throat> a nice weekend without the wife or the kids or <laughs> some quiet time. Uh, but yeah, make sure that you test them. And if you test them in the data lab, you will see what the results normally will be. Yeah. And that's that's the beautiful thing is then you know, and you've done it on real data in a real space. Because I remember back in the day, whenever we did hardware upgrades, I'd keep the old hardware and build a, a mock-up of production to do those kind of tests on. But it never had the real data. It was never exactly the same, but it was as close as you could get. And these are back in the days when people were still going direct to tape and things like that too. So you didn't have the time to restore everything into that hardware, even if you could. So we've come leaps and bounds thanks to the virtualization. Um, so it certainly has made things easier. So it's definitely something that everybody should be looking at. If you're not testing your backups, yes, it's kind of gotten most of the way to where you're safer putting those, those patches on than you are not putting those patches on, but there's always that one in that one app that maybe is homegrown that is doesn't work and then you got to fight to get it out of there usually it's found after everybody's at work and trying to use those applications so it really is making sure that you know i, I love the fact that it uses the most current backups so it's exactly what production is um but again it's also one of those most unused tools that's been in vbr forever yeah so let's make use of it. And, yes. and one of those other tools that are not being used is Veeam 1. Mm. Um, and if I go back four years, I've been working for Veeam now for seven years. Four, four years ago, uh, yeah, I was also hesitating, okay, where should I deploy it? And then I also told all those backup admins, please use it for your own good. You will have an overview over your whole infrastructure, your backup infrastructure. So you know where data is going, how it's protected, that sort of stuff. And I must say, we deliver in 12 and 12.1, especially in 12.1 with the threat center coming up. That threat center is awesome. That's that's one of those things I was graving for like four years ago. (laughs) And finally, it's here, and I really enjoy it. And everyone that sees it is like, oh, yeah, that's what I need. Because that will doesn't love pie charts and heat maps and, and and bar charts that tell you what's going on in your environment. Everybody loves a graphical view in one shot, and this is what it is. Yeah, I've, I've doing a lot of admins uh, in my past year, over past lifetime there. Um, having a big infrastructure, you want one overview, one dashboard. Okay, hold on. Is everything that I'm backing up for, is it on mutable storage? Is that safe? Okay, point one. Second one, okay, we did tests, and especially with 12.1 coming with inline malware scanning. Um, are there machines in there that are suspicious that should be in the bucket for forensics and security team to look uh, to take a look at it? That's on the screen. It will give you an overview where data is residing worldwide. Mm-hmm. All that in one place. And that's where I say for the whole thing, if you have Veeam 1 licenses and not using it yet, start using Veeam oh, 1. Yeah. It gives your, you so much get, more. Get your customers out there doing it. Partners get out there and get an engagement to get that configured for them because it's critical. Yeah. And the other thing, while it's all in one place, it's also kind of in a few places because this is kind of cool too. So that threat center dashboard doesn't just show up in Veeam 1. It's now available in the VBR console, the VRO, the orchestrator console. So you're going to see that same view if you have Veeam 1 set up. You're going to see that same view in whichever one of these tools you use on a regular basis. So it's going to catch your attention. You don't have to be a Veeam 1 daily user to see it. Yeah, that's also what I love, Eric, about uh, version 12.1, bringing everything together now. Mm -hmm. Those tools that have been developed now, all those features will be available across the platforms. 
So all those platforms, even if you have um, uh, cloud agents, you can run them through the inline malware detection. Yeah. So backing that up, and it's like, okay, that's 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 gold for me. Because yeah. as um, a white hat, huh? Africa hacker, I want to see things and how things work. Uh, that's that's the beauty. But going yeah. back to the Veeam infrastructure for hacking, in version 12, we already added multi-factor authentication there. We added the auto lockout feature. So not staying in the console where you're going out for coffee or for a run. Or, huh? or six months later, we've, we've all seen the one where the guy just disconnects the RDP session and it's still connected. And yeah. six months later, it's still logged in. It's still there. And now in uh, version 12.1, we will also add the four eyes principle. Yeah. It's not really a security feature, but kind of it is. It's yeah. more for um, against stupidity. And especially it's being built for me because I wreck things. I yeah. know. That's also why Q&A loves me. If they want something broken, they send it to me two minutes, two minutes later. I send it back. Okay, sorry, it's broken. But yeah, that, that's the whole part. So if I do something stupid, like deleting, for instance, a backup repository, and that was the biggest one in our demo lab. Oh, sorry. Sorry, guys. Um, I have to import it again. It takes time. Uh, yeah, but someone else is going to do a demo. They will kill me. Now, if I do that, uh, the other one, uh, the other people that are the admin in that particular area, they can just say, oh, hold on, Edwin, you did a baba again. I'm going to reject your request. Oh, fortunately. I can also go in myself like, I think I had the wrong one. So I can reject my own. I cannot accept it. So I cannot. Yes, but you can it. back it out so if you decide. I can back out like, like, okay, hold on. On the yeah. other hand. Yeah, that never happened. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't do that one. Okay, <laughs> there we go. On the other hand, you will see. And that's also the tripwire. That's the same with the inline malware scanning. This is also an extra tripwire. You will see, hey, principle of Zoom breach. Hold on, there is someone in there. Because I didn't initiate it, because I'm on a holiday on the 24th of December. Someone else did. And right. that will raise a red flag and should raise a red flag all yeah. from the start. Yeah, you start seeing things coming from somebody who doesn't normally make changes but has access. First off, maybe they shouldn't and start using your RBAC better. But you start seeing that, and it's like, you're going to pick up the phone and say, why are you making all these changes? They're going to say, who, me? And you're going to know you have a problem. Um, it's great for that. Did I also understand that they've taken out the ability to delete um, delete repositories from scripts? So PowerShell no longer has the ability to delete? Yes. As soon as the 4 principle is enabled, it will stop access through APIs for That's those particular features that, are, sec that yeah. are secured by the 4 principle. Because you don't want someone running a script then and like, okay, hold on. You put that yeah. protection in place. It will just go through the back door. Yep. So now you have your, yeah, you're not running scripts because let's face it, people aren't sitting there and clicking away on the keyboard to do most of the attacks they're doing. They're scripting them. Yeah. That's automation. Yeah. That's the easy part. I have automated scripts. Uh, also yeah. for taking down EDR and XDR, I have scripts yeah. that are scripts, particular for uh, EDR and XDR deployments. If I know what is running there, and I won't mention any of those names because we can take them all down. Yeah, it's just running the right script at the right moment in time, and it will just disable what's running there. Yep, yeah, and that's and I hope that if if anybody got anything out of this information, it's that everybody is susceptible to this, no matter what you're doing. We have way more ways to help you combat this than we've ever had in the past. Um, something that I've been excited about is we have what I'm thinking and what I'm calling the the best ransom story, ransomware story and security story we've ever had to tell. 
now that now the 12 one is here it was, it was good before and we weren't maybe the best at telling it as a as a whole individuals like yourself are always good at it but i think that we really have a story that not only can we tell but the partners can tell as well and uh, i think we stack up really strong with this release out in the marketplace Yes, I, I certainly do. And if I may ask, uh, tell you one last thing there, it's about the Yarrow rules, because we talked about oh, yeah. inline and after, but the Yarrow rules, those are the gold ones. Because I you can it. run through your backups as a forensics, mm-hmm. looking for indicators of compromise. So yeah. I was telling you about that Cobalt Strike Beacon that has a signature. If I put that signature in a Yarrow rule, I can run that through the whole environment and see, hold mm-hmm. on, those 10,000 machines, 20 of them are pinging to a particular IP address on the internet. Um, so maybe I should take a look at all those 20 machines and rip out that code yeah. strike beacon. Hitting those known onion links and things like that. Yeah, and there are so much things. So you can look for those uh, artifacts that are being used in compromise. Um, and there are so many already uh, being described you can use. Yeah, That's where you can just run through your environment looking for, hold on, is there something already going on? Yeah. principle of a zoom breach mm-hmm. and you will find some stuff well it's great because yara rules are, are great for that but they're not just for that so now you have the ability if you want to look for pii you want to look for credit card numbers you have the ability the, the yara can do all of these because it's doing pattern matching yes so it, and I've you seen can it. use it for all of it and I've seen now it. you just added another tool that maybe you've been struggling how can i scan my backups or I can't take the resources out of production to keep scanning my production systems. Now you can scan off hours, offline, off off production for all this information that you should be knowing if it's there or not. Yeah, and also where it can be useful is for uh, running, for instance, in, in Europe, uh, the GDPR, the right to be mm-hmm. forgotten. Um, yep. You don't have to delete your backups because that's another right on top of it. But if you have to do a restore and you want to be sure, okay, hold on, uh, that person asked uh, the right to be forgotten, um, yeah. I can use Yara to run for the machine. Yep. And those rules, the, the GDPR style rules, are making their way into the states rapidly. I think California and yeah. one state on the East Coast started, but it's it's catching on. It, start, it starts in Europe, then it hits the West Coast, and then it just flushes across the state. So and then comes back to us again. <laughs> exactly. Then you figure out what we're doing wrong and you do it again. And yeah, works for me. Yeah, yeah it works so for me too. Those Yara rules are super powerful. And the thing is, that's again, these are tools that we're using that are commonly known out there that we're taking advantage of. So like you said, tons of scripts out there already available. You can write your own. But me personally, I'm never somebody who stares at a blank sheet when I start scripting or looking for for JSON files or anything like that. I don't want to do that, but I can, uh, you know, you can download tons of them and then modify as needed. Very powerful tools. Again, the security conversation. Backup is the security conversation. And you just heard 45 minutes of why that's the case. And, you know, I really appreciate you doing this again today. Um, You know, as, as my first repeat guest, I think you'll be another repeat guest because I love having this conversation. And let's face it, the security conversation keeps evolving. So we will uh, constantly have this. And, uh, you know, just a fun thing, uh, Edwin and I got to spend some time in Prague a few weeks ago at the Veeam 100 Summit. Um, so I was very honored to be able to do that and get to spend time on your soil, meaning Europe. I know you don't, you're not from Prague, but getting to spend time on your soil. Usually I see you in the States, but I got to go over and see you. And that was... Uh, that was a fantastic thing. So um, I was uh, I was appreciative to see you. And if I had had my tools with me, maybe we could have recorded then. But it was a busy week. 
it sure was and it's always <laughs> been and it will always be <laughs> yeah that's that's the truth i know i'm looking you know so that we're we're doing this the the uh the week before american thanksgiving and uh it's going to be a sprint to the finish line the rest of the way through the year i, I know everybody's busy uh, which means that the attackers are going to be out there looking for us because they know we're already busy. So they're going to be out there trying to figure out how they can uh, make some money off us. The, it's just a business. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely true. That's why they have nice customer service groups. Well, Edwin, I appreciate you doing this. As always, you you are a great guest. You're a great person. And I, I love any time I get to spend time with you and talking with you because you, uh, well, you're a great guy. I don't know how else to say. So thank you very much. <laughs> Yeah, thank you for the invite, and I will happily be back again if you want me. Awesome. Well, th that invite will come. 12-2, or maybe we're going to have a lucky 13. Who knows? Who knows what 2024 will bring? We'll find out. This has been Veeam Partner Perspectives with Eric Doherty. Thank you for listening.